0: I'm want to welcome you. Uh, Glad that you are are with us. Uh, My name is Joseph Bianco, assistant pastor at City Reformed. If you are new or you haven't been here before, again, welcome. We're glad you're here. I'd encourage you to stay afterwards, uh, just even a little bit to give us a chance to get to know you. If you want to leave uh, quickly and you want to be involved, if you're an introvert like I am, there's a, a sheet in the back and you can tear that off and put it in the offering basket. That's the way we can get to know you. We've been preaching through 1 Peter, uh, we kind of finished a, a series on freedom in Christ and where we currently are, uh, 1 Peter 3.13 is looking at, really the whole rest of the book is looking at different aspects of suffering as a Christian, uh, particularly tonight's suffering in the sharing of the hope that is in us. So let me read the word and then our response will be, thanks be to God. So hear the word of the Lord, 1 Peter 3 beginning in verse 13. with the angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray and ask God to direct the preaching of his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the reminder of the hope that we have in us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would, through this message, drive that message deeper into our hearts, that we would love you more and that we would grow in greater love as well to our neighbor. That we would, Father, with fearlessness preach your word and yet with such gentleness and respect. Father, I pray that you would even now make my words full of fearlessness, gentleness, and respect. Father, I can't do this on my own. I pray that you would, by your spirit, work through your power, for your glory. Amen. Well, this passage is very personal uh, to me, um, partly because I felt called since the day I became a Christian to share a reason for the hope in me. I come from a non-Christian family, and so thinking about how to share my faith with them and others with gentleness and respect is important to me. It's been part of my story. I also believe, though, that it's important for all of us in today's time, the times we live in. So look, right now we are living in a city that is heated, Pittsburgh, it's heated. After the verdict of the Antoine Rose trial, you could feel the heat raise in our city. So the way we respond as a Christian is very important. How about government? It is more divisive in politics right now than any other time I can remember, but from what I hear, any other time anyone can remember. People begin to form opinions about who Christians are as they engage in politics. It's scary stuff. So the way we represent Jesus in arguments about politics is important. But whether it's politics or police brutality or sharing the gospel with your own family, There can be a deep sense of fear when we approach these things. Fear what people might think if I hold this view. Fear if my family members will reject me because I believe in Christ alone for salvation. Fear I'll lose friends. Fear I'll be abandoned or left alone. Peter calls us in this passage not to be ruled by fear, but to be ruled by Christ He calls us to obedience in proclaiming God's word, but the proclaiming is characterized by gentleness and respect and patience. All of this, Peter says, will cause us suffering. Sharing Christ with difficult people will cause you suffering. But he says it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. The thing I didn't mention before is from the day I believed, I wanted to share Christ because of how he changed and is changing my wicked heart. I had a a profound conversion. I, I had the whole nine yards, tears, awareness, deep awareness of my sin. But what moved me to want to share it was how Jesus confronted that sin in me the gentleness and patience he had for me the day he took my sin, the weight of my sin on himself. Peter calls Christians to be willing to suffer as you share Christ with hard-hearted people because that is how Jesus shared himself with you. At one time, you were that hard-hearted person, and I was too. We're going to look at the text through three angles of the same story today. The first is the story of your hope. The second is how Jesus connects his story with yours. And then the third is our response to the story. It's the story of your hope connecting Jesus' story with yours and responding. Let's look at the story of your hope. The context of this first section, verses 13 to 17, is people who would harm you for doing good. It's a bit obscure. Why would anyone harm you for doing good? I mean, it's, it's good, right? Well, this, this actually happens more than you think. I bet if you think back uh, in your life or your story as a Christian, you could think of a time when you tried to do what was right and you were criticized for it. Peter says, uh, these are people who criticize us that we should not fear. Verse 14, he says, But if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So you know it's important, right? When Peter says the same thing twice. Have no fear, nor be troubled. What does it mean to not fear these people? Well, it can be fearful to defend a good action you hold as a Christian when people are against you for that action. We can fear friends rejecting us. We can fear people in power hurting us. People we love abandoning us if we hold to what is good. Peter says, verse 15, but in your hearts. Do you hear the language there? But in your hearts. So maybe outside fearful things are happening But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That means that whatever is going on on the outside, inside, you are at peace. Because Jesus is your Lord. And you have set him apart. Holy. Above the rest. That's what it means to honor Christ as holy. Proclaiming Jesus is Lord of me. Not the things that I am afraid of so you've set those things below. Now he gives us one of the hardest and at the same time the most joyful commands we have. He says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope in you, and yet do it with gentleness and respect. Peter's actually expecting people to ask Christians the questions: the question why? Why, Christian, do you Deprive yourself of the pleasures of sin. Why, Christian, do you give up your time and energy to serve the poor and the needy? Why are you friends with the person that everyone hates? Not just dislikes, but hates. I have a friend, we'll call him John, um, to protect his name. And he told me this story. He said, John had this almost this exact same thing happen to him. He had a friend who was not a Christian. Uh, And this friend was particularly antagonistic to Christians. One day his friend asked him, he said, John, why do you keep to the Christian sexual ethic? Why do you avoid pornography? Why don't you look at women as they pass by on the street? And uh, John's friend went on to make fun of him for it. And he would call John rigid and fake And John responded with gentleness and respect. As his friendship continued, his friend continued uh, to, to watch John, one day his friend actually began to open up to him, saying, you know, John, I think I have a problem. I have an addiction to pornography. And because of that gentleness and respect, even though John was reviled because of his good actions, A bridge was formed between these two, this Christian and non-Christian, and they became friends. And that's what it looks like as a Christian who is prepared to share the reason for the hope in him. Now you might be thinking, okay, Joseph, hope from what? He didn't share any hope. And that's the part of the story I left out, which is that John didn't just share that he was against looking at pornography He shared also that he himself struggled with that sin. He shared that Christ was at work in his own heart, tearing him away from that sin, working repentance and faith in him. He didn't just share rules with his friend. He shared his own struggle. So how about you? Being prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in you doesn't mean, does not mean having all the right Bible answers It does not mean having memorized all of 1 John. It does not mean winning the Philosopher of City Reformed of the Year award. We don't have that, by the way. (laughs) Sharing the reason for the hope in you means sharing God's transforming, gracious power at work in you. I bet off the top of your head as Christians, right now, you could think of three ways in the past year, easily, that God has worked his gracious and transforming power in you. I bet many of you could think of it in the last last week alone. The hope we have is not our perfection, but that we are forgiven when we fail. And we all fail in different ways. So let me ask you, if someone says to you, Molly, Brian, Kyle, what's the reason for the hope in you? What's your answer? Christians, you must show skeptics that we are not perfect. That our hope is not in us, that it is in Jesus. I want you to think about it this way if you are already perfect, you have no need for hope. You're perfect already. Skeptics, what if Christianity isn't a bunch of people who have it all together? What if we, what if I am as messed up or worse as you are? What if Christians are not defined by perfection, but by grace? I want you to hear these words. My hope personally for me is not my perfection, it's grace. And I need all of the grace. And so does every other Christian in this room. And so do you. Now if you're a Christian here. I want to highlight putting giant floodlights. On the words gentleness and respect. It's the center of Peter's message here. How gentle Joseph. How respectful. And he gives us the picture of that. in the way that Jesus relates to us. And this is our. Our second point, looking at how Jesus connects his story, relates his story with ours. So, so look, Jesus was perfect, right? Jesus was perfect. He did not sin. I mean, if there was, uh, if Jesus was to share his own story with you, he cannot say, man, I have just seen all the ways that God has been working to change my sinful heart. Jesus cannot say those words, So how does a sinless man relate to a sinful people like us, like me? I mean, if there was someone who would judge us, right, it would actually be a sinless man. So look, you're here. You're a skeptic. You're not sure about this Christian thing. Maybe you feel judged just coming into a church. Maybe that's the picture you have of Jesus, someone who judges you for your sin, who just points out all the ways that you fail. Jesus takes your sin on himself. Not only does he not judge you for it, he offers to take the sin and the shame, so you do not have to carry it. Verse 18, it says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Did you hear it? The righteous for the unrighteous. We follow a man who never sinned, but a man who gives us the example of what it looks like to suffer under unrighteousness, our unrighteousness, and then take our sin on himself. You see, verse 17 and verse 18 are linked together. Verse 17 says, it is better to suffer for doing good. Verse 18, and Christ also suffered. How gentle, Joseph, how respectful. It's at least going to require some suffering on our part. I'll be honest, I am not good at this. My wife has taught me a lot about what gentleness and respect look like. And I'm learning You know, I have family members who are not Christians and I'm I'm thankful for the moments that she points me back to gentleness and respect and patience to remember the way that Christ suffered for me. The way Peter is calling us to share the gospel is to imitate the way he shared it with you. Jesus did not come down from heaven dueling out judgment. How do I know this? He said it, John 12, 47. He said, I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. And the way he did this was befriending sinners. It was eating, drinking, visiting, loving sinful people. But I want you to hear this. He also went proclaiming the word of truth. Verse 19, read it. In which, or it can be translated in whom, he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience, God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, I know this can sound strange, uh, but it's really not too bad if we can read it in the context of our first part of the passage of sharing the gospel. Peter is giving us the picture of the ark in the days of Noah one, which is salvation, and two, which is the, shows the patience of God. So, I want you to remember the story of Noah in the ark. and I'm just going to read Genesis 6, 5-6 very briefly to remind you of how bad it was. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him. To his heart. So God picks. The last God fearing man. And his family to be saved. And he has him build an ark. And it's interesting. 2 Peter. 2 5. In your additional scriptures. Peter actually gives us some divine insight. Into what was going on. At that time. That Noah was building the ark. Peter says that Noah. Was a herald of righteousness. To the ungodly. A herald is a preacher. I am heralding you right now. I don't think that's the right verb. (laughs) I am preaching good news to you. Peter says, in the time before the ark was finished, Noah was acting as a herald of righteousness in a world that was only evil continually. Noah, by building the ark, was calling humanity, heralding them, these spirits in prison, to repent of their sin and to turn to God In this way, he was a type of Christ. Theologians call this typology. He was not Jesus, but Jesus' spirit was working through Noah in the days of Noah to proclaim liberty to the spirits in prison who were living in sin continually. These people, these spirits, rejected Noah, and they died in the flood. So while sharing the gospel is gentle and respectful in action, indeed, brothers and sisters, we must, as Noah was not, well, he was afraid, but he proclaimed it anyway, we must be willing to proclaim it. And if God wills, suffer for it, as Noah suffered. If we have gentleness and respect and patience without proclamation, then we offer people no hope. But if we have proclamation without gentleness... In patience, in respect, we've given people empty hope. Do not be afraid of them, but as God was patient, verse 20, so too we must be patient. Later in 2 Peter 3.9, he tells us that God is patient towards you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all should reach repentance. So we follow Christ's example of gentleness. Respect. Patience and proclamation, but we do it without fear. So, how do we respond? This is my third point. Our response to the story. Our response is actually our baptism. It might sound strange. How is our response to our baptism? But Peter draws the image of the Christian of how, for the Christian of how baptism corresponds with the story of Noah. So, verse 21, he says, Baptism which corresponds to this. Now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the corresponding there might go something like this. If I had a diagram, this would be easier, but I'm gonna use my hands. One, God waited for an appeal from mankind in the days of Noah, but he didn't get it. Two, Noah proclaimed truth to these people, but they rejected it. Three, but God saved some, that is eight persons, by the ark through the waters of judgment to safety. Okay, so baptism. One, is an appeal that we make, either parents on your behalf or you directly, but an appeal. It's not what saves you, but an appeal Two, Jesus, like Noah, proclaims truth to you. The vehicle is not an ark, but faith in Christ. And three, if you choose to get on that boat, if you choose to place your faith in Jesus, then you will be brought safely to dry land. So Jesus, an appeal, the gospel of faith, salvation. Noah, appeal, the gospel, eight have been saved. Salvation. Now, That is one layer of imagery, but Peter actually gives us a second layer of imagery here. We think of baptism as a sign of the washing away of our sins. Here, the water cleanses us, not physically, Peter says, but spiritually, pointing to Jesus who died for the forgiveness of our sins. So too, Noah and his family went through a kind of cleansing, a passing through the waters of judgment where they came out safely. It would be foolish here, given all we know of Scripture, to think that the act, the actual water of baptism is what saves you. Peter goes out of his way to say it is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. And look how, look how much power he gives Jesus here, not the baptism itself. He says, with the angels, the authorities, the powers having been subjected to him. I feel compelled to tell you something. And I would never do this to any other denomination if it was not an actual cult. Um, But there is a heretical cult in the city of Pittsburgh called the Greater Pittsburgh Church of Christ, also known as the International Church of Christ. Uh, And in that church, they believe, and they use this passage that you are not saved if you are not baptized, and baptized in their denomination particularly. So they horribly distort the message here that Peter is giving us. And I want us to be careful, remembering that your baptism is important. And we'll get to the importance of it in a second. But it is a sign. It is an appeal. Jesus is the one who saves through his resurrection. I don't want to get too sidetracked, so actually I wrote for you a a small paper. I put it on the back by the offering basket if you want more information uh, about this uh, this group. But I believe uh, Peter here gives us the image of baptism so we would respond to it. And there are really two ways that we can respond to, to our baptism. We can respond as Christians and we can respond as skeptics. So let's do Christians first. If you're a Christian and you have been baptized either as an adult or as a child, an appeal was made either directly by you or by your parents on your behalf. And that appeal for a good conscience is not one that ends the day that you were baptized. It continues on. Our Westminster Confession, the larger catechism, asks a question. It says, uh, it's a unique way of asking it how is our baptism to be improved by us? Some of you know this language. And what those old English words are saying is, Christian, how will you live out that appeal? How will you live out your appeal to God signified through your baptism? So maybe you're a Christian here, and you've been a Christian a long time. Maybe it's becoming old hat to you. Maybe it feels rusty. You've been doing this Christian thing, and life is becoming easy and comfortable. And I believe Peter is pushing Christians right there. He is calling Christians to remember their baptism, that symbol that Christ died for you to bring you to himself, to wash you, to give you hope that you might share that hope with others. Responding to this story for Christians is sharing their story with others. I want to reclaim something here in this as well. And that is some people think Some people think that they don't have good testimonies. They don't have good stories because they grew up in the church. Because their parents were Christians. They've always been Christians. And I would argue, if that is your story, that that is the greatest story that you can have as a Christian. A story of God's faithfulness to generations of your family down to you. A father and mother who loved you, who suffered. Trust me, they suffered raising you. But they suffered even more, I will tell you, as they prayed for your salvation. (laughs) Striving to do it without fear. It means a lot to me because I long for that story from my own children. They're only six months and two years. But I don't care if they believe in the gospel because they heard it from me or they heard it from a friend. So long as their baptism, that sign one day becomes a reality in their hearts. Christian, whatever your testimony is, it is God's story in your life. Don't be afraid to share it. Now second, and this relates to Christians and non-Christians, skeptics in the room, all Christians, all Christians have wrestled with sin. So part of what you can share is not just the good things, but how God is working on your sin as well, appropriately. Non-Christians need to hear that from us, that we who grew up Christians do not have it all together, that we have sin too and we are equally in need of grace. Let me turn then to skeptics. If you're here and you're a skeptic, if you're not a Christian, there's a call here for you. Implicit in Peter's words, it's a call for you to be baptized. For you to make the appeal. I think sometimes... For non-Christians and skeptics, you think that you have to have it all together in order to make the appeal, to be baptized, and you don't. In fact, I would argue that if you did, if you came to me as an elder and you said to me, Joseph, I got it all together now, I'm ready to be baptized, I would say you are not ready. To make an appeal for a good conscience does not mean that you are perfect. It means that you recognize that your conscience is in need of serious work, needs an overhaul, I would begin with prayer. I would ask Jesus to begin His story in you. And the beginning of that story is to allow Him to take that sin off your shoulders and to put it on His own back. If you have done that and you have been baptized, then um, you should consider membership. If you have not become a member of a church, if you haven't, you should be baptized. I'd like you to, either way, to consider visiting our membership class. Our membership class obligates you to nothing. It is simply a place where you can come and hear about who we are, and then you can say, see ya, or I want to hear more. Again, if you wait till you are ready, you will never come to Christ. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He calls you to repentance and faith and baptism. I will end with my own testimony. Look, I was a little Jewish Catholic boy, fourth grade, second grade, second grade. Eric Ostergaard invited me to VBS, Vacation Bible School. We have VBS in this church. I went fourth to fifth grade, got to know him, became his friend. Sixth grade, I hear the gospel. It's beginning to click. Seventh grade, I believe. I had a friend who approached me without judgment. I was swearing when I met him. I had a little fourth grade potty mouth. And I remember his mom was afraid to let me spend time with her son because of my language. But Eric kept loving me. He kept inviting me. And we are still friends today and I thank God for Him. I want you to remember the story of God's hope in you. I want you to remember how Jesus connects His story with yours that He loved you so much that He paid for your sins on the cross. And I want you to fulfill your baptism if you're a Christian and if you're not, be baptized. Let's pray.